welcome along to the Good Time Sports Club. This is episode three. Good to have you along. I'm OJ Borge. Alongside me, not Raya Hubble this week. No, no, no. We will hear from her later on, though. Um, no, it's... I feel we've, in some ways, we've traded up the glamour. We've traded up the sexiness. Uh, and that is because our producer, Mark Payne, is in. Mr. Payne. Hello, Mark. Hi. Yeah, I don't I don't know if the glamour is what you're going for. If you want someone with a beard, I'm your man. But... You've got a better beard than Raya. I'll give you that. On the beard stakes, you've got a better one in every other one. And I'm not being rude to you, Mark. I don't like to start a podcast by being rude. But yeah, she probably outs you on every other one of those. But this week you'll make an exception. That's fine. But this week, I make an exception. On the podcast today, World Cup snowboard champion, uh, Katie Omrod, she drops in. I feel that's a, a double entendre, that line there. She drops in to the half pipe that is this show. Uh, we have a double dose of netball England from Kira Rothwell and her national coach, Jess Thurlby. Uh, we have our second contender for the sports quiz, but can Dre Harrison from Motorsport 101 take the top spot? All that to come. But first, let's do the news. Uh, Antonio Felix da Costa secured his first ever Formula E title. The Portuguese driver secured. Go for it, Mark. DS to Cheetah. Very good. Their third straight title in the All-Electric Series with two races to go. Uh, the racing has been absolutely furious. I know a friend of mine was working on it and he said even though they were locked down, even though they were in the same circuit, it was the same races, it has been amazing to get them going again. And if you ever hear those, if those cars going around, they'll blow your mind. It's like crazy uh, bumper cars, isn't it? It is, it is. It's, you know, if they started throwing red shells around, you'd think, hang on a second here, I've seen this in a game. Uh, the FA have announced that the FA Cup will not have any replays for the first time in its history next year. I'm all for that. And 301 shot, he knows no fear, became the longest price winner in horse racing history when he won a race at Leopardstown on Thursday. Um, Mark, are you lucky when it comes to betting? Are you a betting man? I have come very close to winning money on multiple occasions, big money, and I've always lost out on the last bet and an accumulator. Three times I've come close to winning thousands from not very much, and three times I've failed. Of all my many vices, the one I've never got into is betting. Everything else I've had a good go on, but no, betting is the one thing I never did. I did go to the dog track once, it was my birthday. Of the 11 races, including uh, a 12th, which was our sweepstake, I won zero. I have never won a bet in my entire life. Let's get on to our first guest. Earlier in the week, Raya caught up with Olympic snowboarding pioneer and reigning World Cup champion, that is 22-year-old Katie Ormerod. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Where in the world are you? As lockdown is still kind of going on, but not, and we're not really sure. Uh, where are you? What are you doing? So I'm at home right now in Yorkshire um, with my family. I did lockdown with my family and I'm still here. So yeah, just at home right now. But let's, I'm really excited today, Katie, because we're talking snow sports. And I couldn't be more excited about that because it's kind of going back to my roots. But Katie, I've also been living in the UK for quite a long time. And I have to be honest, in the, in the 15 years I've been living here, I have only seen snow a handful of times. Really? So why don't you tell me how you got yourself into the sport and where your passion came from? Yeah, so like you said, you know, we don't have much snow in Britain. No. Um, but So I actually started on a dry slope. So um, like if anyone doesn't know what dry slope is, it's basically just um, a slope, kind of like a carpet made out of like plastic bristles. If you imagine like a toothbrush kind of material. Yes. In like a honeycomb shape, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's like the Dendex and that's like the real gnarly stuff. But then you've also got the Snowflex, which is just... Um, smoother it's it's a bit nicer than dendex the triangular diamond shape one but but yeah similar sort of thing um and yeah i just grew up at my local dry slope in halifax and that was all through my mum and dad um they were keen snowboarders wanted to go on like a snowboarding holiday so i actually got on skis first when i was three so i skied for a couple of years and then when i was five got my first snowboard for christmas and just started snowboarding absolutely fell in love with the sport straight away and yeah, just kept going to the dry slope as much as I could after school. And it kind of just took off from there, really. Obviously, you have done other stuff to get yourself to the type of snowboarding you're doing. There was, I think, a lot of gymnastics in the early days of your career, wasn't there? 
Yeah, so I actually started gymnastics when I was four years old, um, so like a year before snowboarding and throughout my whole childhood just balanced the two sports and they went really well together, like hand in hand for like the strength that you gain and the spatial awareness. So I did both yeah. of those together, yeah. Yeah, I think that's where snow sports in particular have really massively changed from generation to generation. I mean, back in the day, for me, it was all about the need for speed. It was breaking barriers in terms of speed. Now we've sort of done that. And I feel like it's now not about speed. It's about how high you can go and what's the next big trick that can be done. And and that's where I think the barriers are being broken. I mean, and it sounds like you have been doing a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like action sports is, it's just growing hugely. Um, it's like when I first started snowboarding, you know, it wasn't, there was only half pipe in the Olympics from the snowboarding yeah. side. And now, you know, slope style and big air have been introduced in the last couple of Olympics, which is really exciting. So we've now got like all three disciplines in there, which is really cool to see. And um, like growing up, that was like such a big thing. Cause like starting snowboarding, I just did it purely for the love of the sport. And then like growing up and then having the opportunity to compete in the Olympics when it finally got put in, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> so yeah, it's super exciting to see like where action sports is going to go because it's still growing. I heard on the grapevine that at 15 years old, you were one of the youngest females to ever do a double backflip on a snowboard. Yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> and then after that, didn't you do uh, a backside double cork 1080? Did I say that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. But yeah, that was the year after when I was 16. And that was like a really big moment for me. That was probably like my breakthrough moment into the like big snowboarding industry because no woman had ever done that before. It was only like a, a male trick that had been done. For the sake of us mere mortals, can you actually tell me what a backside double cork 1080 is yeah so you go off the jump and you're basically doing like a double somersault whilst twisting 1080 degrees so it's kind of hard to imagine but if you imagine like a corkscrew kind of motion whilst doing a double somersault so yeah you're basically going upside down twice while spinning around um, and grabbing your snowboard so it's yeah it's pretty wild <laughs> but it was do you land do you land frontwards or backwards yeah you land um so you set off um normal footed so whatever if you're goofy or regular I'm goofy and then you land goofy as well wow which competition were you doing when you first landed this uh backside double cork 1080 and and then what competitions did that lead on to and how did you get on at those so I actually didn't do it in competition first I um, it was kind of like a big process and I sat down with my coach and we both decided that I could do it so he took me off to America and they had like facilities over there where they have like foam pits so I did some into the foam pits first and then they went pretty well so then we took them to snow and it was like I went out it was in between doing my GCSE exams at school so like I had like a really small window to like get it done and we <laughs> took a film crew and I literally had like I think one and a half days to kind of do it um but it was kind of good because I liked having that pressure like okay I've got this amount of time to do it I want to land it and it just all came together and I landed it and yeah it just went pretty crazy like all of a sudden everyone knew who I was I started getting invites yeah. to all the big competitions and then after that I kind of had like a breakthrough season where I got invites to everything did really well it was yeah that was kind of like my breakthrough moment really it was really cool and then after um every the world found out that you had been able to achieve this sort of mark celebration when was it that you actually applied it in practice in competition and more importantly did you then win um, so I actually, I've never actually competed it yet. It was one of those uh -huh. where I did it and then pretty much, I think a couple months later, cause we did it straight before the summer. And then my first trip back, I actually snapped my ACL in like the first couple of days training. And that was when I was supposed, to, I was like excited to do it in competition, show the world what I could do. And then I was, I had the whole season off. So yeah, it was it was a bit annoying but then um, when I came back afterwards that was kind of when um I still got all these invites from doing the double 10 so I like then had like a breakthrough season but I didn't actually compete in that because I'd had all that time off so I just went back to my other tricks but yes I'm still waiting to get that opportunity <laughs> nice well I honestly can't wait to see it but 
the other, you say I've gone back to my other tricks. Those other tricks have obviously landed some huge um, podiums and some really, really big accolades. Um, you did incredibly well at the 2017 FIS Ski and Snowboard um, Big Air Competition. Um, tell us more about some of the big events that you've done well at and competed at. So I think my best achievement was probably this season, 2019-2020. Um, I won my first ever Crystal Globe, um, which is the yes. winning the overall World Cup slope style title. So that for me was like the best thing I've ever done, especially after like having a bad injury the season before. So doing that was really cool. And it was also the season I got my first ever yellow bib, like being the leader in the rankings. And I think I got... I was leading in three out of the four contests, I think, so like nearly all of them. So that, yeah, yeah. I think this season I had like most of my big achievements, but um, probably as well, X Games. Um, I got an X Games medal, I think in 2018, 2017. <laughs> I can't really remember what year it was. But yeah, that was, again, one of the big things I've always wanted because before snowboarding was in the Olympics, X Games was the one that I really wanted to get because that was like, you know, the the biggest campaign action spot so I'm really glad that I've got that one as well yeah definitely those are some pretty big competitions and big names that we're talking about but let's switch our focus for one minute to your Olympic journey because that is the one competition you have yet to do and that actually ties in a lot with what you were saying about your injuries you've not had an easy run of it have you no I've had a, quite a few injuries unfortunately talk me through it because if I'm not mistaken you have qualified for two Olympics but yet to compete is that right um so I qualified for one the first one I missed out I think by like two spots or something so very close yeah. um and that was in 2014 when I was like just I think I was 16 years old so I missed yeah. out on that but then put everything into going to the 2018 ones and um, I got there I think I qualified like really high up thinking like second place or something um, Amazing. so I was like you know going there in the best shape I've ever been in um, felt like I couldn't have been more confident like my riding was like on point and I was just so excited you know to hopefully do really well um, but yeah. yeah like it just went downhill pretty quick um, I broke my wrist on the first training day and then the second training day, I broke my heel like really badly, broke it clean into two pieces, ended up having to have emergency surgery in Seoul and then stay in hospital for a week over there and then flying back for another six operations in London. So it was a bit of a mess, oh. like not how I imagined my first Olympics to go. But yeah, yeah, I just had to kind of see it as everything happens for a reason. I heard that the day that you broke your wrist, you actually had thought, you know what I'm well enough to compete I'm going to compete with the broken wrist and then went out and did some training and then broke your ankle so with a yeah. broken wrist because it, it wasn't like it didn't need surgery or anything it was just one of them tiny little like fracture things um yeah so they just put it in um, a splint and yeah I could still do everything with that you know I took a few painkillers it was all good <laughs> um because with snowboarding you're not really using your hands so I was like, it is possible and a lot of people do compete with a broken yeah. wrist. It wasn't like anything crazy. So I was like, it's the Olympic Games. I'm not, this isn't going to stop I'm gonna me. I'm going to do it. I did the same thing in a race. I um, broke my wrist in a training run the day before. And when they were in hospital, like you have to have it um, plastered. And I was like, can we not just wrap it up? And they're like, no, you have to have it plastered. The, the break is bad enough. So I said, okay, fine. So we brought my ski gloves and ski pole and we made them put the plaster in the shape of the hole to race it. So I know that feeling. <laughs> but you, but it's like you said, it is the Olympic Games. It is what you've trained for. It's what you want. And you'd already missed out once. It is exactly what we are saying before we started filming. I think us extreme sport athletes have some sort of screw loose where we have zero almost respect for our own human lives we just want to go big or go home you know yeah I feel like you have I've always felt like you have to have a certain mindset um to be in action sports because yeah you are it is pretty crazy to anyone else who hasn't been involved in it or hasn't done it the whole life it's it does seem pretty crazy to be like throwing yourself off these 90 foot jumps doing double somersaults in the air and then landing back on the snow it's pretty wild but I think for people like us who have like grown up doing it and love it it's you know it's all about the love for the sport and the passion and I couldn't imagine my life without it like I absolutely love every bit of it there's thrills isn't it there's something about that high that you get when yeah you hit that you hit a jump 
or you you get to a certain place in a race it's yeah it's that ultimate high that I think we're searching for as thrill seekers um Katie how um has your injury and COVID which I'll move on to in a second affected um your Olympic and your competitions because um I'm sure you have your site on 2022 yeah so for in terms of like the COVID situation I actually, well, this was my comeback season from breaking my heel. I ended up having to have 18 months off and it ended up being like the best season of my whole career. Like it just went really, really well. Um, but getting towards the end of it was when um, COVID kind of appeared. So we didn't really know what was going to happen. And I was already in the lead for winning the Crystal Globe and we had one competition left and they ended up having to cancel it because of COVID um, because that was meant to be, I think, end of March. Um, but really that's not a too big of a problem because in the snowboarding world is always factors that go into having like a competition being cancelled whether it's bad weather or a storm or things like that there's always usually a contest or two cancelled and we'd actually had an amazing yeah. run this season like perfect weather at every competition so it's kind of only missed one at the end wasn't too much of a big deal like because everyone out every other contest was like amazing weather and good conditions and really good but then going forward to the next Olympics, our qualifications were actually meant to start in August, so this month. Um, <laughs> that's not happening anymore. It was meant to be over in New Zealand. That was meant to be the first Olympic qualifier. And yeah, we just we can't even travel there, even if we wanted to sort of thing. So that's having to be pushed back, I think, to November or December now, somewhere else. Um, I've heard the first one is Beijing, but again, it's yeah. just all very up in the air. We're just kind of playing it by ear. I guess you're training for each competition until such time that you're told that you can't go? Yeah, so like all through lockdown, whilst I've been at home, I've just been like training constantly in the gym, doing little bits of like skateboarding and doing visualising of my snowboarding, doing as much kind of training as I can without being on my snowboard. Um, just yeah. because I need to be ready like I want to be as ready and as fit and healthy as possible for when the first one does come around <laughs> so I'm just hoping that you know things get back to normal soon but you know it's just really uncertain times so yeah just as long as I'm ready for it then that's all all that matters <laughs> yeah how has your mindset been throughout lockdown I've been really good like I, I told myself straight away that um because I've, when I was injured it was kind of like being in lockdown I couldn't go anywhere I couldn't do anything and I found that really hard at the time um so when I knew we were going into a lockdown for quite a while I just like set myself like targets to get stronger I, I turned the garage into like a little gym so I could work out nice. every day went running yes. like doing as much as I could so I was really filling up my days with exercise and fitness and training which I loved and um, absolutely loved it so now I'm feeling like in the best shape ever and now that things have started to ease a bit here in the UK um, I can start doing like gymnastics training again so getting my spatial awareness back doing double somersaults so it's it's been good. <laughs> um, well Katie listen first of all congratulations on your World Cup victory um, that is just epic we are so so proud of you. Katie if people want to follow your journey and find out how you're getting on. Where can we follow you? How can we stay in touch? So I'm on social media. Um, my Instagram is at Katie, and it's the same on Twitter. And then I've got a Facebook page as well, which is Katie Ormerod UK. Fabulous, Katie. Listen, thank you so much for having me on the show. Best of luck and we will see you in 2022. Thank you. Thank you, Raya. See, I told you she'd be here. Now, for the first time on the Good Time Sports Club, we're going to feature a sport of netball, and we're going to double dip on it as well. As more than 319,000 players turned up for a game every fortnight in England prior to the coronavirus outbreak, with its popularity also reaching record highs in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Ahead of the launch of Netball England's Rise Again campaign, we spoke to two of the national team, the Vitality Roses. We had a chinwag with head coach Jess Thelby, but first, here's Raya catching up with England Futures player Kira Rothwell. Hey Kira, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good, yeah. We've just come off our um, first camp yesterday, so I'm a bit sore today recovering from that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the dreaded it's been so long since I've been training with my team <laughs> and now I have Dom's bad. Yeah. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> Listen, it's really, really nice to meet you, Kira. I have to be honest. 
I'm Canadian. So before I moved here, I pretty much knew diddly squat about netball, but it is a sport that I have really taken to, probably because it's got a lot of proximity and similarities to a sport that I grew up in love, basketball. Yeah. Um, but also because it is all about embracing women in sport and female in empowerment. So yeah. I really, really love that. So why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about how your netball journey um, started and how you came to play for London Pulse and uh, Vitality Roses? So I've got more of an athletics background. I used to do a lot of that when I was growing up. So I did like long distance running and then I went to secondary school. They kind of, everyone kind of just played netball. So I played it. I could run, so they just threw me on, couldn't catch, couldn't throw, couldn't shoot. Um, but yeah, just gave it a go. And then they put everyone forward for the the county trials and I somehow got in. Um, everyone was a bit shocked. And then um, I got back in the next year and no one else did. And, and I started working hard and practicing my shooting at home. I don't know why I decided I wanted to be a shooter. It's a lot of pressure, so I don't know why I've done that. <laughs> I have it on good authority. I have heard a little rumor that when you did join your netball team at school, didn't you join or get selected for the B team because of maybe some mal-coordination issues that you had? Yeah, I, I in the year seven, I was like A's, B's, C's between all the teams. Like, I wasn't very good, so <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't even in the first team at school. Um, and then, yeah, I started practising. And then it was kind of within the space. So this was when I was about, how old are you at that age? 12, maybe, 13? Mm-hmm. Um, within the space of about a year and a half, I went from county level to England level because, well, I had started late. And so I guess I was just catching up. And, um, so I went forward for my first England trial when I was like, I was 15, didn't get in the first time. I think it was that point that I realized I saw girls getting in around me, girls that I knew. And I was like, I can be as good as them if I start training and trying really hard. So I started doing like 300 shots a day. Um, doing my wall work at home, um, weights and conditioning, everything. And then I got called back in that summer and got into the England 17s. Um, so yeah, that was my first time getting into England. And then since then, I've kind of just progressed up. As of a few weeks ago, I got into the England Futures, which is like the senior programme. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations. That's pretty epic. And that is off the back of, I believe you having an, a, a fantastic season last year in under 21s yeah I had I did have a good season when it or like on paper it was a good season it's always different like mentally in my head I felt like the whole time I could have played so much better but then on paper it was good I was played for the England A squad against New Zealand and South Africa back in January so when they came over for the Nations Cup and that was like incredible because I'm playing against um, like the best goal defence in the world who I've grown up watching and then I'm suddenly on court against yeah. her and I'm trying to stay cool because it's such a cool moment. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is an incredible feeling. I, I did the same. I was a skier as a kid and when I finally made the senior circuit, I was a similar age to you and suddenly I was watching all the girls that I'd seen on, you know, Ski Sunday what how did you keep your cool under pressure because I tell you what I the first race I ever did when I was watching my idol go in front of me I nearly pooped my pants yep. and I didn't <laughs> keep my cool very much so so what did you do how did you keep your cool because you obviously killed it I feel like over the last year I've been trying to develop techniques to deal with that and like at the moment what seems to work for me I'll just like if I've got a big game or something I'll think of three things that I know I need to work on so like I need to um, cut in front of my defender, pass with my left hand, um, roll off the front in the circle, like random stuff that's relevant to me, probably no one else understands. And then I can focus on them three things rather than focusing on, oh, I'm playing against um, the best goal defence in the world. And it kind of creates a smaller picture rather than thinking about the bigger picture. And then um, alongside of your international success, you've also done pretty well I, I must say at the Vitality Netball Super League um, and the squad that you play with in London um, tell me how that's been because also again under 21 success and now senior team is here yeah 
Um, it was my first season in senior, so I didn't really know what to expect. And I, I was just keen and go along with everything and try and please everyone. Um, we did come bottom of the table and it was a bit of a learning curve. But then we've got a whole new squad and a new coach this year. So Sam Bird's our coach this year. And we were three out of three this season until the season was cancelled. So we already beat last year's record in the first three games. Amazing. It, it was just such a different team. And um, I'm at uni in Birmingham, which is obviously about three hours away from London. Um, so I'm doing that commute about three times a week. But being like being in Pulse, how it is now, and with Sam and the girls that we have around us, it makes it worth it, that travel, because I know I'm going to get like very high quality training and coaching. Obviously, you were traveling a lot, studying a lot, and on a massive winning streak. So then COVID hit. How did everything change for you? Well, it definitely was hard at the beginning. I feel like for all athletes, it was because all you've ever known is like, training hard and pushing yourself the whole time and then suddenly that part of you is taken away which takes a bit of getting used to but with our club Pulse they've been amazing we've had um sessions online at 10 every single day all through lockdown um six days a week so I feel like I've been training harder than normal because we never normally have that much contact time seeing the girls every single day I'm now in the England camp so I'm training with them instead now Something pretty amazing also happened, if I'm not mistaken, but you started getting into care homes and helping elderly residents how to play netball. Is Am I right? Just in, in general at London Pulse, we've been trying to think of initiatives to reach out to the community, um, like just raise awareness of netball, get more support and get people active, basically. And then, yeah, between Pulse and this group, Anchor House Nursing Homes, they came up with the initiative to like bring in Super League players um, to run a few sessions. So I've been doing them for Pulse. And, um, oh, the, the old people are so lovely. Like, um, so we'll, we'll be doing, like, movements, um, getting, getting moving, and then um, with a softball, they have this net thing in the middle and trying to throw it into the net and then competition between the two different nursing homes. And they're so competitive, honestly. <laughs> I'm trying to calm them down. Do you have any memories that really stand out from doing this? Do you know what I loved? Um, so I was making sure like they got enough water or whatever whilst they were um, doing the session. So I'd be like, um, we can have a drink break now. Um, and so the first time I was like, does anyone want any water? And then the um, staff would come and give them drinks. And um, the first one I was expecting them to bring around ro- water and they um they brought around strawberry mojitos for everyone and this was at 10 a.m in the morning and I mean I'm assuming they weren't alcoholic but um I thought that was that was quite a nice nursing home I wouldn't mind being there (laughs) absolutely brilliant it is a netball like mojito party (laughs) listen it's five o'clock somewhere in the world yeah exactly Right at the beginning of the uh, of the interview, you you mentioned that you are you've just finished a training camp. So I assume that lockdown is easing for you, and you find yourself maybe back in proximity with your friends and training partners. Tell tell us what's going on with the teams and your training. Now we're back into the camp based program. So we've just done our first week up in Loughborough, but obviously, well, this is my first year, so I'm not sure what it was like before. But it is very different. <laughs> in the sense that um, we're in groups of six, so you can only socialise with your group of six. Um, You live with two of them, um, not really allowed to go into anyone else's kitchens or anything, and we're allowed to break the distancing rule very occasionally in the training environment, but again, out of the environment, you have to be two metres, and yeah, just being careful but it's amazing to be back we're actually back on a netball court with a netball post exactly can you feel the return of netball now that you're back training with teammates and players I mean, how, how exciting is this oh, for you you can probably see on my face I know people listening <laughs> can't but um yeah it's so exciting like yesterday morning we did our first we did like a through court pattern no defense or anything and you, you're two meters apart but it was like oh my god Netball, it might be coming back in the next few months. <laughs> um, if it does come back without an audience, yeah. without people watching, 
Do you think that will affect your play as a team without hearing the the crowds cheering, without having that something to to spur you on? Or do you think it will be easier to communicate with your team and and run strategies better? Well, everyone always talks about if you're at home, it's obviously a huge advantage because you've got the crowd behind you. Like, say it's a really close match and there's like two goals in it and you've, you've got your home side cheering you on. It makes it like mentally easier because you're like I need to do it for them I need to do it for my team it's easy enough to communicate with your team on court anyway like you have eye signals and everything so like I don't think it will affect that too much I always think that without the crowd if you've done something wrong it's much easier to hear your coach yelling at you which always I find a bit disturbing that's very true I'm very good at um (laughs) I never hear my coach talking at me when I'm playing, which is probably a bad thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> like they probably have Great. to scream, Kira! Um, Maybe we'll we'll cut this bit out because you might find yourself in big trouble having just said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen. It's so great to speak to you. If anyone wants to stay in touch and follow your journey, can they get in touch with you on social media? How can we How can we follow you? Yeah, um, Instagram's probably the best. It's just my name, Kira underscore Rothwell. I, uh, I have to be honest, I had a little Instagram stock and I have got to tell you, I think you're a pretty impressive baker. <laughs> Thanks. If you don't know of Kira, you've never heard of her before, go on to Instagram, check out her page. You should see this cake. I have no idea how you stayed sort of It took me eight hours, honestly. I'm not really a baker. (laughs) And this, once you've started, you can't really stop because the cake's baked. I now need to decorate it. (laughs) And then once you've decorated it, you have to boast about it. And then once you've boasted about it, you must eat it all because you have no one else to share it with. Yeah, it all got eaten. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Kira, best of luck. We really hope that we see the return of netball very soon. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Rayanne. I don't want to get all Star Wars about this, but from Apprentice to a master. Uh, It's time to welcome Jess Thelby to the Good Time Sports Club. She's won the Vitality Super League with Bath. She's represented England as a player at every level from under 16 to senior squad and is now the new head coach of England's national team. The Vitality Rose is what a journey. I know, I know. It does feel feel a bit strange, especially kind of um, going full circle from... I guess in 1995, I was in England under 16 selling programmes at the World World Championships to think that I could and will be heading back there in for the Commonwealth Games in a couple of years' time as as the Vitality Roses head coach is, is definitely a full circle. <laughs> you became the head coach after the World Cup last July. How have you found your first year in charge? Yeah, it almost feels like um, two years in one, really. It, it, it's quite strange because I hit the ground running, obviously, off the back of... Um, an incredible World Cup campaign and obviously home in Liverpool. So the momentum behind the sport was was brilliant, um, a real energy across the country for netball. Um, obviously a big change in terms of a new head coach coming in uh, and, a, and a lot of plans already in place, both in terms of the squad that had already been selected uh, and also the fact that we had a, a big team builder to kickstart the year up in the Lake District. So pretty much met the team. And then before I knew it was in a wetsuit and needing to jump into open water, which is a big fear of mine. So, uh, yeah, it, as first impressions go, it was certainly an interesting time, um, but wouldn't change any of that. And then we, we there was already a planned tour to Australia and New Zealand for what was kind of, I guess, that next layer of players um, in the absence of some of our World Cup stars um, who were either taking some time out or, um, it, yeah, mainly needing some rest and recovery. Uh, so we jumped over there for quite a long tour, actually, with quite a new player group. And then we hit the ground again and went over to, to South Africa and managed to win our first away series as an England team since 2013, which isn't a bad way to kind of start the role. And to do it with uh, going into extra time in my first ever match as, as head coach was... <laughs> wasn't necessarily something I don't know what I expected but um yeah it's definitely made it memorable this first year from a from I guess uh, an on-court point of view and uh, and as you say you know we then had the Nations Cup in January was really looking forward to watching all of these players out in their Super League teams and performing went to the opener for the Super League which was fantastic in Birmingham like a sellout crowd which was incredible again for our sport and all of a sudden it kind of just came to a halt and um 
I think looking back now, you know, we, we were joking last week as we re-entered our camp-based programme in Loughborough that lockdown has obviously felt like such a long and challenging time. Um, but as soon as we walked back in here and we kind of reconnected as a group, so much of it felt familiar and comfortable and safe. Um, and it's where everyone wants to be. And there's a real gratitude, I guess, across the group for for just enabling ourselves and working within those government guidelines to to return in in elite sport. So your last competitive matches were back in January on home soil at the Nations Cup. How did that go for you? We came third, so we beat South Africa on both occasions during that tournament. Um, we lost to Jamaica and New Zealand, but I felt that we were we were really competitive. I think against New Zealand, you know, the world champions, so they're coming. They came here on a on a high. Um, but what was pleasing for me is we exposed kind of a whole new group of athletes to play in against those three nations in very quick succession um, and very early in my tenure as well. So I'm, I'm actually really grateful that we had so much exposure exposure so soon into the role and rather than wait and it had, it, even more so now knowing where we are, if we hadn't have had as much competition so soon uh, in the autumn and leading into January, you know, I'd most probably be more concerned. But the fact we can look back and we've had some of that exposure already, I guess it helps at the moment whilst we're trying to navigate our way through and establish what our international calendar can look like through COVID. And you mentioned it's the elephant in the room here. How have you and the team stayed in touch during lockdown? Has it been Zoom calls and the like? I think if you ask the players, I've most probably stayed in touch too much. <laughs> um, they, uh, I think in all seriousness, they, they would have been moving into their kind of club environments and they'd be playing their domestic league. So we wouldn't, as a Roses programme, have too much contact time with them in terms of face-to-face during that period. I certainly would have been at matches. I'd have been there to support that, those player groups. And behind the scenes as a staff group, we would we would and have been spending a lot of our time planning um, for the next couple of years as we lead into Birmingham and Cape Town. So, um, But I think very quickly, you know, given the pressure on those clubs as well and the ambiguity and uncertainty as to what was going to happen to Super League um, for a number of months... The, the clubs were brilliant in terms of being able to still facilitate sessions and stay connected with their teams. But what we quickly did was step in as a, as a wider staff group and a sports science team to make sure that we were adding value and supporting both the athletes and the clubs um, with their physical conditioning and kind of, I guess, maintenance at the start because we didn't know so early on whether or not we would be recommencing in any way shape or form the Super League Uh, and then when things became clear that sadly you know Super League may not be able to come back on the table uh, contracts periods were most probably coming to a close when Super League would have naturally ended Um, and we'd made our selection for the next cycle Um, then we kind of you know the reins hand over to us a little bit so kind of towards the end of May beginning of June uh, we very much picked up where the clubs had left off and and did a bit of a handover and they very much come under our support now. Um, so, yeah, I'm one for connection and I very quickly realised that I, it's it's not it's not really for me working through a screen. I don't think it is for any coach, but um, we found our way. So we're all good, but it's nice to be back physically with the players over the last couple of weeks. And what's it been like now that you're physically back in training? Never before has it been so easy to coach because they're so grateful for the most simplest of things <laughs> so we're, we're we're quite restricted in terms of what we can do but um I'm trying to be as creative as I can with how we can still operate and get real purpose out of any session that we're doing at the moment obviously our main focus is around the physical adaptations back onto court um and without kind of going into too much detail like understanding how we can start to reload their legs and tendons and how they're responding to that so the the netball piece has to take a, a little bit of a back seat in terms of I'm not adding any unnecessary pressure on them to be expert performers right now like it would be really inappropriate to do that but making sure they feel as safe as they can in this environment and psychologically they're in a good place and um yeah, it's, you know, just picking a ball up and putting them into some practices. They literally think they're playing netball and it, it wasn't that easy before. So I hope they remember that in another few months time. <laughs> we heard a little bit earlier from Kira about the massive inspirational Rise Again campaign, Netball England or Running. Could you tell us just a little bit more? Yeah, it's, it is, I, as you say, it's pretty inspiring stuff. I think um, having worked pretty much daily with both the wider organisation on how netball can get back, both bigger and stronger. And I think the Rise Again campaign is a culmination of the efforts that the sport have gone to and continue to go to to 
consider how we can accelerate netball coming back at both community and at the elite level, which we obviously have to follow slightly different guidelines for. So um, the organisation have been fantastic and our membership is so important. Not It's not purely a financial stability, but obviously that's really significant. So the people that love our sport, who I guess are the, the, the bedrock of enabling us to do what we do, are our members. And over the last four or five months, I've certainly tried to help where I can to contribute towards giving value to our members, making sure that they too still feel connected to, to the netball community, um, whether that be through, you know, never seen before interviews or providing sessions online. Um, I know that there's been like a campaign like where any dream, any dream will do and people can have like one off experiences with a player or a Rose's coach. Um and I think hopefully, you know, that's gone some way to replace the the void of, of not being able to get out on a court. Um, and whilst we appreciate the frustrations of our community level netballers that they haven't yet been able to, our government sub- submission went in a couple of weeks ago. And I think we're we're literally on the cusp of hopefully being able to return back to court in some way, shape or form. So that in theory, you know, this Rise Again campaign is is a way to enable people to re-sign for their membership, either at the full rate or a discounted rate for those that have suffered any financial hardship, but show their commitment and pledge, you know, their membership fee um, in order that we can rise again. And um, yeah, I think it's it's an outstanding um, piece of work by the organisation, but fundamentally it's made by the passion of our of our members that we hope we can one day, you know, welcome back into an arena and for an international match and, and give them the thanks that they will deserve. And finally, um, your next big certain goal on the horizon is defending the team's title at the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Yes, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, we're certainly kind of heading towards that, obviously in a very privileged position and the first ever England team to go is reigning gold medalist. So no pressure or anything. Um, But yeah, what coach doesn't enjoy a bit of pressure? So yeah, we talk very much about like the gratitude that we have that we've got not only the opportunity to go as the reigning gold medalist, but also in another home event, a multi-sport event. And for those that may or may not kind of make the team have an experience Liverpool, I think, yeah, I think everyone's really excited and it will come around very quick, um, in particular given the circumstances we're operating in at the minute. Um, as soon as we're out of this and back on an international court, you know, our sights turn very quickly to Birmingham and beyond and, and Cape Town the year after for our World Cup. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting and um, time will fly, no doubt. It's quiz time now. So who is our second contender to see how well they're doing? That is Dre Harrison. Dre, how are you? Very well, sir. How are you guys doing? <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, you're from Motorsports 101. Mm-hmm. Um, what is on the podcast this week? I, I take it you're excited because racing is sort of back. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I mean, motorsport has been, if anything, like a little bit slow on the wagon to come back. But yeah, we are now pretty much running in full Formula One got a little bit lucky. We, we did have a, a quite famous positive case in Sergio Perez um, luck, um, about, a, about a week or so ago, but luckily he's now come back negative. He's rejoined the bubble. So, yeah, most likely um, like we're playing a little bit of catch-up with some of our episodes because we're in the middle of a busy switch over to YouTube, but um, we're going to binge release about five episodes um, together at once, a bit like Netflix in that sense, basically catching us up through the early goings of the season so far. So that'll be the two Austria races, MotoGP's return, um, Marquez's shock injury on two wheels, etc. So a lot to catch up with, but most likely next week will be the Spanish Grand Prix this weekend um, in Catalonia, um, assuming we don't get another sudden outbreak because, hey, you never know these days. But uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, nothing too crazy. Which of the many motorsports has handled coming back after the coronavirus outbreak the best? Um, I would say probably somewhere between Formula One and MotoGP. Formula One, for the most part, has done something like 30,000 tests since coming back uh, last month. And they've only had one positive test since then. And even then, you can make the case that Checo was a bit naughty. In Not only did he fly back to Mexico, where there was a bit of a, an increase in cases out there, but... 
allegedly he also went to the Sardinia in the middle, uh, in between two races. So um, it was a little bit naughty. He was largely criticized on social media for that. MotoGP, I don't think, has, I think has had one alleged positive case as well. But generally speaking, Motorsport has handled this about as well as it could have in the grand scheme of things. Well, everyone wears a mask anyway. Everyone wears a mask. If you're out racing, you're wearing a mask. <laughs> right. Um, and just to get your thoughts on it before we get into the quiz, because I've spoken to a few friends of mine who are motorsports fans, and I've spoken to friends of mine who are esports fans. What was your thought on, during the lockdown when there was no racing, what did you think of the virtual races? I, I thought it was a great idea. I mean, I, I thought the esports guys out there, um, they saw a big opportunity to, you know, take advantage of the fact everybody was at home, the amount of people that, that, that you know, suddenly had picked up rigs the amount of celebrities that had picked up rigs then you know they're able to get big short-term audiences in um guys like uh, liam payne out of one direction sergio aguero from manchester city pierre emerick Bamiyang from arsenal um over in the world of football you know former like again big motorsport names jensen button dario franchiti you know uh so chris hoy it goes on and on and on it was a big big opportunity for these esports guys and the race in itself was fun uh, it was a, a little bit of confusion from some brands about what they wanted their series to be, whether it wanted to be an uber-competitive series or just something that was going to be a bit of a laugh um, on certain games consoles. But for the most part, I think it was an excellent a bit of opportunism from some of the esports folks out there to take advantage of a once-in-a-lifetime sort of situation. And I think they handled it very, very well. Make hay while the sun doth not shine. Exactly. Um, <laughs> right, are you ready for a quiz then, Dre? Yes, sir. Okay, how is, how is, your, how is your sports knowledge across the, the previous week? I'd like to think it's okay. I do like to keep up with my sport across the board, so fingers crossed I'll be I'll be higher up the leaderboard. I've got I've got a reputation to uphold. <laughs> All right then. Well, you keep that re reputation front and center. Here we go. First question. Uh which racing series concluded this week with six consecutive races in Berlin? Uh Formula E. If you'd have got that wrong, that would have been a terrible start. I know, right? <laughs> uh, in football, the remaining games in the UEFA Champions League are being played in which European city? Lisbon? Mhm, mm correct. A pair of trainers worn by which international superstar was sold this week for £460,000? Mm. I'm not sure. I'm going to take a guess and say Kobe Bryant, maybe? Right sport, wrong person. It was Ooh. Michael Jordan. Ah. Uh, which outspoken star claimed he'd have to lose an arm and a leg to fall outside the top 50 in his sports world rankings? That would be uh, Snooker's Ronnie O'Sullivan. Oh, man, I love the rocket. Uh, we were joined by Kira Rothwell and Jess Thurlby from England Netball's Vitality Rosa today. But just how many players are there on a netball team? Seven? Is correct. If you've never played netball, it is a great game. Uh, which swimmer celebrated three golds and three world records this week 12 years ago at the Beijing Olympics? Those three world records. Michael Phelps. Indeed, correct. Uh, practice is underway at the Indy 500, but who... Is the reigning champion. Oh gosh, last year's winner. Oh gosh. Oh, it's a motorsport question. I can't get this wrong. Oh come on, Dre. Last year. It's gonna come to me. Simon Pagano. <clears throat> is correct. Uh, George Kittle became the NFL's highest paid tight end this week, but which team does he play for? San Francisco 49ers. Do you think when you become an adult, you don't laugh at the word tight end? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which rider won his first MotoGP race this week? And Bruno? That'll be South Africa's Brad Binder. Final question. Correct, obviously. Uh, final question. Monaco plays host to which athletics event this weekend? The third in the league's elite series. Um, is it the Diamond League Athletics? Yes, well done. It was the Diamond League. Congratulations. Catherine Whitaker last week from the Tennis Podcast scored eight. You scored? Nine. Nine. I'll take that. I'll take Top that. Top of the board. And even Excellent. better, Dre. Even better, Dre. You've got both of the motorsport questions right. Thank so goodness. <laughs> all three of them, actually. Um, if you played along while you were listening, wherever you were, whether you're driving along, um, obviously don't text while you're driving, or... You listen to it on the train. Uh, let us know how you did. Hashtag GTSC quiz. Um, Dre, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. What do you hope for for the rest of this year when it comes to motorsport? Um, just a bit more competition, I think, wouldn't hurt anything else. I mean, again, in the, in the two-wheel world of MotoGP, Mark Marquez being out for a good chunk of the season has 
absolutely opened it out there with Brad Binder winning his first race last week. That was a massive deal for the sport. Um, in two wheels, we had Max Verstappen win the 70th anniversary Grand Prix for Red Bull. That was a nice surprise. It is nice seeing maybe not necessarily a Mercedes in black or whether it be Hamilton or Bottas win every other weekend. So a little bit more competition, a little bit more unpredictability wouldn't go amiss. Dre, good man. It's been great to have you on. Thank Looking you, man. To the Pleasure. Next Sports 101. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. Mr. Payne, we're done. We're done, Mr. Payne. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, how sported out are you right now? Uh, not so much sported out, but the um, the lack of sleep and the build up to the recording, <laughs> I could do without that. Sleep for losers. <laughs> I wish I was a loser. Um, that's it. We're done. We hope you've enjoyed your time at the Good Time Sports Club. If you have, why not give us a follow on your social media of choice and a five star review wherever you get your podcast? That would make a massive difference. It means more people can find us and join in as well. And that's what we want. We want to grow the Good Time Sports Club. In the meantime, if you want to get in contact, you can find us on social media. Drop us a message. Just search for Good Time Sports Club on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, as always, thank you very much to our guests for taking their time out. Katie Ormerod. Jess Thelby, Kira Rothwell and Dre Harrison. Um, and I do have a slight question for you just before we end it, Mark. Hit me. You like cycling as well as I do. Mm. How excited were you to see the start of racing again, of the calendar, of, the, of this insane, insane end of the season we've got? It's been something I didn't realise just quite how much I missed, to see people struggling their way up a hill as a slightly tubby uh, six foot three man who can't go up that hill on a bike very well. Watching people struggle at an elite level just makes me feel a little bit more wholesome rather than getting my sweat on uh, on a Zwift ride in my back room with all the fans on. It's just not the same, is it? Well, you see, I can top you there uh, because I'm six foot four and slightly tubby and don't go uphill quickly. And also, I did a Zwift race the other day without a fan. Um, at the end of it, I've never felt as bad. I slithered off the bike and had to be rolled into the kids' paddling pool to lay there just to try and calm down. Anyway, the reason I mention this is not to talk about me sweating or falling into the kids' paddling pool. It's because next week on the Good Time Sports Club, we have uh, a winner of the Tour de France. He's an all-round good egg. He's an Olympic champion as well. That is Geraint Thomas. I struggle saying his first name. has been picked up a few times before. For. Welsh people have sent me stuff in the past telling me I can't say it. So instead, I'll just say G. G Thomas will be on the Good Time Sports Club next week. The Good Time Sports Club is a shocked giraffe production. It was presented by me, OJ Bord, Raya Hubble, and for one week only, Mr. Payne himself. And the show was produced by Mark Payne with additional production support by James Watkins. Until next week, good day. <laughs> <laughs>